We are in 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 15, but let me read a few more verses to get us back into context. I'll start in verse 10. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation, or sin offering, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He hath given us His Spirit. Uh, last week we talked about the Spirit being the earnest. Uh, spent a little bit of time on that. Verse 14, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Verse 15, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, dwelleth in Him, and He in God. <clears throat> All right. Verse 15, and I think today uh, I'll close with a passage uh, specifically dealing with this phrase here, confessing Jesus being the Son of God. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. All right, so we spent a little bit of time talking about many, many having the wrong idea of the Holy Spirit indwelling in them. However, the Scriptures teach in numerous places that God dwells in us, Christ dwells in us, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and it teaches that we dwell in God, that we dwell in Christ, and that we dwell in the Holy Spirit. Uh, in none of those situations do they think it is a literal indwelling, except for when you begin to talk about the Holy Spirit. Again, this was not a prominent teaching within the United States. Uh, really, we've addressed this a couple times until uh, specifically we had... Uh, Two people within the U.S. that started to teach um, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit tied to Calvinism and really, you know, premillennialism all really coming out of the same group there. Uh, still not a prominent teaching amongst many religious groups. Many groups do not teach the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, never have. The Roman Catholic Church, um, the Greek Orthodox Church. Uh, and a whole host of other religious congregations today do not teach the personal indwelling of the Holy Spirit. However, you have a number of them that do, and all of them that do are Calvinistic. I don't know of any that are not Calvinistic. <clears throat> so, we do not have an indwelling verse here. A lot of verses people will use to try and teach the indwelling, and sometimes they'll even misuse some of these passages. But This is not an indwelling verse in any way. One who confesses that Jesus is the Son of God confesses the truth, and the truth abides in him. All right? We'll start working at it through this avenue. <clears throat> Since God is the essence of truth, uh, has anybody got a passage popping in mind right now? I didn't write it down, but it's popping into my head. Let me. Is anybody thinking of one? Acts 17. Uh, no, that's not it. John 17, 17. Right? Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. 
So since God is the essence of truth, and that would include Christ, God abides in them, or Christ abides in them. Like the Spirit, He dwells through the Word. Now we talked a little bit last week. The only medium ever used uh, in <clears throat> teaching or relaying information is the medium of words. That is the only medium. Now you could say, well, we used, uh, I used pictures and I drew it. You're still, you're still actually, those, when, okay, let's say you use pictures. You drew a picture of a dog. You look at the picture of a dog, but in your mind, what does your mind do to the picture? Converts it to a, a word, right? Uh, here's an unusual question. Does anybody here speak another language? John does. John, when you hear the word dog, or when you see a dog, do you think of it in English, or you speak Spanish, don't you? Yeah, I asked somebody, um, actually from Mexico, I think it was Pedro, I asked him, I said, when you see a dog, do you, think of it in, do you think of it in Spanish or English? Does that make sense? And he goes, it makes perfect sense. I do understand. He goes, I always think of it in my native language. I think of the word, whatever the Spanish word is for dog, right? So even if you paint, even if you draw pictures, we in our mind associate that with the word of what it is, okay? So that's the medium we always use if the Holy Spirit is going to relay a message, you have people that say the Holy Spirit speaking directly to them. We've addressed this last week, too, as we talked about He has not spoken in secret. We went to the book of Isaiah. <clears throat> the medium always used in relaying messages is always words. Always, right? That is the same way that God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit dwell within us, and it is through the medium of words. As I meant, the Holy Spirit is not the Word. You have people that, some, that wrongly assume that Members of the churches of Christ teach that well, the Holy Spirit is the Word. No, He's not. Uh, he, is a, he is a being, just like God is a being, and just like Christ is a being. They are all part of the Godhead. However, their medium is words. Uh, when, when the earth was created, how did it come into existence? It was, spoke, it was spoken into existence, wasn't it? The medium is always through words, Okay. That's how it works with God the Father, with Christ. When Christ was trying to relay uh, His message to people about salvation, how did He do it? Through words. We have a lot of people that think there's an indwelling of the Holy Spirit and He gives you secret nudges and whisperings in your ear. No, that's not how it works. It's never worked that way. Uh, it's, always been through, it's always been through public pro proclamation. The, the prophets weren't giving secret messages, right? When the Word was revealed to Moses, the law of Moses, that wasn't a secret message. It's always public proclamation. The idea is, is all the Jews had the same information they needed to be a faithful Jew, right? Same thing with those who are Christians. We all have the same information. Everyone has all the uh, information in how to be a faithful Christian, but it's through the gospel or through the Word. So they abide in us uh, through our application to that Word which was given, okay? <clears throat> so... This passage here oftentimes is used by those even incorrectly to teach indwelling. It's not even close to being an indwelling passage. And it makes the statement that whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God dwells in him. Now, what would somebody... Holly would be a good one to ask. Holly, what's somebody going to use this passage for? We were having this conversation this week. Faith-only Faith salvation, right? All you got to do is confess that Jesus is the Son of God and you'll be saved. Right? There's another uh, passage specifically. I think I'll use it tonight. I was 
it's actually marked in my Bible for tonight. Romans 10, specifically verse 9. The problem is, is they don't read any further down. Go ahead, Jerry. Mm-hmm. There is. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. They don't like to bring that up. And same thing. Even though they use this passage. You have the same thing. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, you have that also. You ever notice that? you got believe and you have confess. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Here, you've got confessing Jesus is the Son of God and He dwells in Him. They use it to teach faith only like you just said. Yet, it's got the confessing part. Uh, this does not teach by any means the idea of confessing Christ through acknowledgement alone, or as some would say, the sinner's prayer. Oh, of course they will. Yeah, if you ask them that, so we've had we've had few people come to our house that have taught. One lady we gave a booklet, and it was all faith only. And I said, let me. And if you just do it real nonchalantly, you say, oh, I'm just curious, do I have to repent? They always say yes. And then you turn right back around and say, well, then how is it faith-only salvation? And they're already caught. Uh, and I've never had one that's ever said, no, you don't have to repent. Go ahead, Wendy. When you look at those words, abide and dwell, it is actually how we stand on something. If we abide in love, it's how we stand in love. If we dwell in God, it's how we stand with God. It's not a mystical or magical word. Mm -mm. But for some reason, for the Holy Spirit, we want to make it magical. Or man in general wants to make it magical. It seems to me, has anybody been on any church? Of, well, don't, I've checked a lot of different religious groups, but has anybody been on any church of Christ? Well, you guys were traveling. Did you guys check any websites as you were traveling? Did you see a lot of the Holy Spirit indwelling? on? I'm seeing that all the time on Church of Christ websites. Sometimes I think it may be because they just don't know any better and they copy and paste it from somewhere else. Uh, and sometimes I think they literally believe it. Specifically in northern, up here in northern Michigan, when we drive by Churches of Christ, I always look them up. And the majority of them have indwelling passages on their, here in Michigan on their websites. Um, there's quite a few on the way up to Charlevoix and up that way. And every time I've pulled the websites up, it's almost always indwelling, uh, which... Maybe they just don't know and they've copied and pasted from somebody else, but <clears throat> I think it's becoming more prevalent. This was, this was a huge division within the church back, um, you know, back in the middle to late 1800s. You had churches dividing over the Calvinistic portion uh, of specifically the Holy Spirit and things like that. And it was a huge problem within the churches of Christ. Um, and I think as, as congregations, I hate to say this, as congregations that are faithful dwindle and the congregations that are not faithful get larger and larger, you're finding many of those large congregations um, are off oftentimes on the Holy Spirit. I, that's just an assessment that I've seen and made. I, don't, I can't really go any further than that, but I'm curious if anybody else has seen that. I see a lot of larger congregations that seem to be off on the Holy Spirit. Let me grab one. I think part of the problem with a lot of the large congregations is as they, as they are large and they draw from like community churches and other congregations, they draw in people and part of their baggage is they've already been taught indwelling. And then when you have small groups 
and they're overseen by local members of the church. They're not overseen by elders who are responsible and control things. You then have people teaching their own personal thoughts, and it doesn't take very long for it to turn into rapid wildfire of people teaching Holy Spirit indwelling. Constantly, mm-hmm. but when those times do, obviously we we know that we if we say we're not a sinner, we're a liar, right? So then they wouldn't say God was in us because no. that would be sinful. They wouldn't say Jesus is in us, that would be sinful. What about the other part of the Godhead? I agree. The Holy Spirit wouldn't have anything. How would He be part of a person who uh, who sins? I saw, I saw that. It's like, I saw that. That's a total lack of yes. knowledge and study and like just saying that. Now, I don't know if she just misspoke, but what does that show? That it, I, yeah. Clearly, clearly there are people who are not, I don't know if it was the same message you saw, but I saw it and it shocked me to my core. Uh, because clearly we are taught on when one dies, Abraham's bosom, paradise, and then at the judgment, and we see all the time people talking about, oh, they're in heaven. No, they're not. Uh, I mean, that's not like a huge, like, thing. But like, we know it's the right way, but people out in the world don't know that, but if we're not teaching within our church buildings the truth and what God says about those kind of things, I mean, I believe... I would say we all believe that we're, if we're faithful, we will go to heaven. And we, will, and we believe that if people were faithful, let's say those that lived during the time of Jesus, if they are faithful, they will go to heaven, uh, if they're faithful followers of God. However, Jesus said, no man hath ascended yet to the Father, right? So even at his time, he says nobody has ascended to the Father yet, and that's because the judgment hasn't come, and we learn about paradise. And yet, I see that comment all the time by people. Oh, your you're so-and-so is in heaven. I've seen members of the church talk about them being angels in heaven. How many have seen that? I know we're veering off, but not, we see an awful lot of weird things stated by members of the church. It's not just the indwelling. We see people talking about their... People don't become angels, right? Angels are created beings. They have a purpose. They're messengers of God. They have works that they do, but people do not become angels. But I see members of the church say that all the time. No, in the Hade- they're in the Hadean realm. Yes, uh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That general statement of "I know they're in heaven." They're in the, if they're no matter what, they're in the Hadean realm. They're not in heaven or hell at this point. Yeah. 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 We don't know. <clears throat> we can assume or we can we can strongly believe, but you you, you wouldn't have any way of knowing. But again, there's a number of things that people teach, uh, specifically out of this passage. I've seen people out of, even within the church, that teach indwelling. Um, let's go over to uh, Matthew seven. I didn't even put this in my. I don't think I cited it in my verse, did I? Yeah, I did. Down at the bottom, Matthew seven twenty-one through twenty-three. You can barely see it down there. Jesus said, "Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven." 
but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. So this clearly contradicts. This isn't a contradictory statement. It's not like the Bible contradicts itself. This contradicts the false teaching of um, faith-only salvation or by saying a sinner's prayer. Because this clearly, Jesus says, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, which they're confessing him, Lord, Lord, or the Son of God, he says they're not going to enter into heaven. He goes back and he makes it clear it's he that doeth the will of my Father. Now we'll talk, I think, tonight a little bit about that right at the end um, as we look at Romans 10, 9 and, 9 and following. He says, Who is in heaven? Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy by thy name, by thy name and, done, uh, and by thy name cast out demons, and by thy name done many mighty works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. It doesn't look like my normal King James Version, so I might have copied that when I was at work. Sometimes I work on Bible study there. But I could see what it was when I started to go there. So a lot of people will teach, unfortunately, faith-only salvation. However, we've got plenty of other passages that make it clear that just confessing Jesus as the Son of God uh, does not allow you to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It takes a whole lot more than that. Specifically, the will of the Father is included. Verse 16, now remember, he spent a lot of time talking about love. Uh, he's not done talking about love here in 1 John. He'll actually go back to that topic, even though he is sidebarred here for a second. And we have known and believed that the love that God hath to us, God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. All right. Let's look at the phrase here, we have known and believed. What is he trying to get the reader to understand? <clears throat> so we have arrived at this knowledge and then continue to possess it and have believed and continue to believe the love which God has to us. Okay, So we have known and believed. This is ongoing uh, regarding God's love. A lot of people never come to the realization that God truly does love them. Some people believe that God loves them. However, they encompass that as a universalistic type of love, that God would save all people regardless of... How many of you have ever heard someone say, if He was a loving God, how could He send anybody to hell? Well, you have to remember, He's also a righteous God, and He can't have sin dwelling uh, in His presence. And so, there has to be a dividing line. We noticed in the last passage, actually, uh, in the last passage, plus with Matthew 7... Uh, 21 through 23, what's the dividing line? Obedience. It has to be tied back to a standard. The dividing line is, a, is the standard that was set. The standard is obedience to the Word. I mean, it continuously goes back to the Gospel, the medium by which we know uh, the will of God. That medium was given to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So he starts off by making it very clear that we know this love, and we've continued in this love. Notice John 17, 25 and 26. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. And these have not known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Alright, so what do we learn here real quick as we tie this passage in? Get back to my notes here. First, God's name was made known. 
what book specifically addresses about God's name being made known, even to those maybe that were not Jewish? Where would you, if you were going to take somebody to a book that teaches, for example, that God, God was made known simply by the things around him, where would you go? The book of Romans, right? The Gentiles should have known even by the things that were around them that there was a creator. His name was made known in person to specific people. They became his followers. Uh, they knew who God was. However, his name was actually even known just simply by looking around at the things that are, are here. You can't, you can't help but look at a tree and realize there is a creator. The idea of the Big Bang Theory, which I don't even know if there's so much even holding that. They teach everything from Big Bang Theory to, I've seen uh, crystals, I've seen just all kinds of just crazy things. Um, you can't look at a tree and not understand that there's a creator. Now, that poses the question, how did the creator come into existence? And I can remember, does anybody remember asking that question as a child? How, okay, I get God created everything. Who created God? Is it, anybody remember asking that question? I can't remember asking my mom. Like, I don't understand it. Okay, God created everything. Who created God? And she said, and I was little. She's like, God's always been. There was no creator. He's always been. He's eternal. A little kid trying to wrap their mind around that. This exhibit's a little morbid, so you have to like, have a stomach for it. But it's called the Bodies Exhibit. And it's like people who've donated their bodies to science, but they will show all the muscles. They have like a literal veins that they took from prison. They made what your veins would look like in the shape of a person, how many veins. It's the coolest thing ever. It's very morbid because you know they were actual walking around human beings. But when you look at that and the intricacy of how our bodies are designed, even to a little bone in our ear, if we didn't have this, I mean, it was the teeny tiniest, we could barely see it bone, we would not be able to stand up, right? Mm -hmm. And to know all these intricate parts of our body, how we can't look at something, at an exhibit like that, and not know that there's I can remember in school, I had to write a paper and prove that God existed based on the chemical of estrogen. And surprisingly, it was not that hard. Seriously, they gave us topics. They're like, you need to prove God exists, and here's what you got to prove it from. You guys realize that, I mean, without, without that chemical, literally humanity would cease to survive. And you begin to go in and break that stuff down, and it's like, there's no way that this is happenstance. It's not possible. Uh, it, there was a um, biology teacher, I'm trying to think where I knew him from, and he taught in school. He's like, we were supposed to, we have to teach evolution. He's like, however, when I teach it, I literally will ask the students, does, did you guys realize that without this chemical, all of humanity would not exist? And it's not possible for the body to live while this chemical is being created. So the idea of evolution is like the body cannot exist without the chemical. So the idea that the body lived and existed while the chemical was also being, being developed over time, it's not only does it not work, it's not, it's not physically possible. And he said, even though I have to teach creation, I don't te or teach uh, evolution. He's like, I teach, uh, I teach them, but I ask them very logically, does that make sense? The, this is what the book says I have to teach you. Does that make sense? And he's like, I can teach them at least some of the truth by asking logical questions. Uh, and that's, you can't look at, I mean, the, the human eye. Who's got, the, who's got the, the fanciest phone right now? It doesn't even come close 
to what the human eye can do. It's not even close. That idea of it developing over time, definitely not. So first we know his, God's name was made known, not only to the Jews or to the patriarchs, but it was also made known to uh, those who would be the Gentiles. It was revealed that the love which the Father had for the Son was open to the saints, and the life of the Son is seen through them that were brought to the Father. Now, who can remember the very first passage within our Bible that, that's pointing to the fact that Jesus was coming? I'll help you out. Genesis 3, 15. Somebody said it. Who said it? Good job. Genesis 3, 15. So from the very beginning, the whole idea was the Messiah was coming. Uh, and we get an idea that the life of the Son is seen through them that were brought to the Father. Why? Well, He dwells in us when we dwell in Him and when we're living according to His Word. God is love here in 1 John 4, 16. This is a repetition which we've already noticed here in 1 John. He has spent a lot of time talking about love. I think a lot of people miss it as we're talking about love. But again, you have a repetition here of that which we had already noted. And he that dwelleth or abideth in love, dwelleth, uh, or that word abideth, in God. Uh, I put that here because that word can be translated as abideth. And I think that actually helps when you use the word abide as opposed to the word of dwell. And he that abides in love abides in God and God in him. Okay, very similar to the very last portion of what we just saw in verse 15. You basically have the same thing being repeated a second time. Um, can somebody mention a poem that does that? We see it quite a bit throughout the Bible. Uh, poems that have repetition, same thing over and over again. I'm not a poet. Huh, I said that to you once. <laughs> I'm not a poet. Uh, there are a lot of poems where they will recite the same thing over and over again, and they'll do it in different words. Uh, they do it a lot in the Old Testament. Uh, Hebrew, uh, when you look at Hebrew poetry uh, throughout the Old Testament, a lot of it is saying the exact same thing in a different set of words. So it's continuing to repeat it over and over again. So sometimes I think as we look here, the word dwell is much better rendered if we actually render that as abide. What does abide mean? To accept or act in accordance with a rule, a decision, and or a recommendation. It has a little different of a, of a mindset for us to say we abide in something as opposed to we dwell in it. Because people look at the Holy Spirit and think He literally dwells inside of us. And, and that's because they think we are His tabernacle. Uh, Guys, again, I wish I, wish I uh, could go into more detail as to how all this got started. You didn't find this being taught uh, many, many years ago. Uh, you don't find, you did not find in the past, Calvinism being taught uh, in third world countries initially. Where there were small pockets of Christians, you found no Calvinism. Guess, guess when Calvinism started in these third world countries? When we sent missionaries to the third world countries from the Baptist churches. and all. At that point, you started having Holy Spirit indwelling Calvinism, premillennialism being seen in third world countries. But prior to that, none of those that claim to be Christians taught any of that nonsense. Well, this is a really good example. It's repetitive throughout the Scripture. If you will, I will. Yeah. It shows God's stance and then our action according to what 
I will do this if you will do that. Yeah. If you ever get away from that mindset of, if you will, I will, your only option is to, is to take a universal stance. Um, somebody was actually writing about the uh, 80-70 doctrine the other day, and one of their new, one of their new beliefs, not that they, they constantly change everything they believe. And as I was reading it, I don't know how those guys continue to evade the idea of universalism. Uh, the more I read it, the more I can understand why Max King and those guys became, they were in fellowship with everybody. Because um, they got away from the idea of, if you will, I will, and obedience, and a number of the key factors um, because of their pet doctrine. So what's the meaning here? One who abides in love abides in God and God in him because God is love. And the same thing is true with abiding in Christ or abiding in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit abiding in you. It's not dwelling in you literally. He abides in you uh, through your faithfulness uh, to the will of God as seen uh, and declared within the Scriptures. Again, you'll always find it, always taking it back to the Word of God. Yep? Yep. Uh, which I think would be really in alignment with that, to act in accordance with, to stand by, or to, to be in alignment with. I think that's a, an actually a very good rendering of it. Unfortunately, they, over time, they have, they've gotten to this idea of dwell. Another part, go ahead. Yeah, so here's the other thing. If he's literally in you, Holly, and he's literally in me, and we have a theological disagreement, which one of us doesn't have the Holy Spirit in us? Because he wouldn't, he wouldn't be contradictory to himself, would he? Matter of fact, if the Holy Spirit was in me, I should be able to quote the Bible verbatim. And so should you. I mean, we should be in doctrinal alignment, and yet the Baptists claim to have the Holy Spirit in them, community church claims to have, all these religious groups claim to have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, and they all have doctrinal differences. So the, you're telling me that the Holy Spirit's in all these individuals, they all believe totally different things, and many of them clearly contradict His own inspired Word, uh, or, or the Word He gave through His inspiration. Again, it's just not logical. Uh, but I don't think a lot of people that believe this have done the study to know whether it's logical or not. It's simply what they've been taught, and they just believe it. So clearly, as we've looked at this, this is not an indwelling passage in any way. Uh, it's based on our actions being in alignment with God's will regarding our fellow man. Remember, we're talking about love. That love is seen also uh, in our love of God. Uh, and he's actually going to go back to our fellow man here in a couple of passages. So this doesn't teach that, this does not teach that love overrides or takes precedent over obedience. Why do I have to bring that up, unfortunately? What is the common mindset of love with many people within the church? Well, not within. Within the church and outside of the church and other religious groups. It's all good. You know, we love one another. We're not going to argue about that. That's not, that is not a matter of, they would say, that's not a matter, uh, a doctrinal matter. We don't need to argue over that. Why don't you put that money in the place? That's right. Are there things that are not doctrinal matters? Of course there are. Not many. Um, there, are there are usually scruples that are tied into an already existing command. 
what would be a good example within the churches of Christ? We have the command for the Lord's Supper. What issues do we have then regarding the Lord's Supper? What scruples have tied in from a number of different groups? You've got, I actually had, I actually have, so I'll use something else so as to not offend people. I actually had someone call me and they said, hey, uh, I visited a congregation uh, this week and I noticed that during the Lord's Supper, um, they were singing. Has anybody ever seen that? They were singing during the Lord's Supper. Do you have an issue with that? Has anybody ever thought about that? We have different acts of worship. Uh, what, are, what are some of our acts of worship? Singing's one, praying's one. Teaching. We have the Lord's Supper, we have the offering. You ever seen anybody take an offering up while somebody's preaching? Have you seen that? <laughs> uh, we don't, we, you don't see the mix. <laughs> Where in the world are you worshiping at? <laughs> Go ahead. We walked out, but they passed the claw around too for the offering during the singing. The claw? <laughs> it was a church of Christ. What was I it? Called the claw because it looked like a claw. Was it the big basket it was on the. Oh, uh, we had that in the Catholic church. Yes. Yeah. In the old days, they used to have guys with feathers on, on poles, and if you fell asleep, they would come over and wake you up. <laughs> Did you guys know that? It's just, that's a useless fact for anybody watching this. Um, that was common during the Middle Ages. Um, so anyways, the person called me, and they said, I, I've never seen that before ever within a church of Christ. They were, they were mixing acts of worship. And I said, never seen that before, huh? No. I said, you ever thought about it or studied it? No. I said, they said, would you go there? I said, no. That's something you need to study and think about. Um, why, do we not, why are we not mixing acts of worship? Everything's to be done what? Decently in order. If I'm, let's break it down kind of simple, because you may have never thought about it. So when we have the Lord's Supper, what are we doing? What are we actually contemplating and thinking about? The death of our Lord and Savior. That's what we're thinking about. We're doing this in remembrance of Him. Now, at this congregation they were at, they actually had, I believe there was, they weren't using instruments, but they had a a cappella praise team up front. So you got a praise team up there, and they are singing, um, and you're focusing on what they're singing. Some people were singing with them, some were, some were not. How are you focusing on the Lord's death and, and um, all of that, while at the same time you're listening to somebody singing a song? Uh, so you've got, there's a whole number of things going on there. Uh, and a whole lot more. I mean, we're just, I just brought it up. Sometimes I get asked questions like that. And, and the thing is, is people have never really actually thought about why, why they're doing what they do or if it's even right or wrong. What would be another one? Children's worship. Most, I know a lot of churches of Christ, they won't call it, they don't necessarily call it children's worship. Uh, what would they actually call it? Like, huh? Yeah, cradle roll, or they'll have, they'll have a nursery. And usually, they, they usually what they'll say is, is we have an attended nursery, or we have, we have an attended area to take your children. The problem is when you go to Ephesians and Colossians, where do you find out the children were? In the assembly. <laughs> he actually addresses them in the assembling, right? So there's no separation of the youth from the adults because the youth actually learn from the adults. This is another example of things that we see within the churches of Christ. Um, 
it's unfortunate that we have so many of these misunderstandings. And in a lot of those congregations, if you were to throw a fit about that, what would they say? Listen, we, we just want to love everybody. We, this is not something that we should be having a disagreement over, right? Um, the first thing I mentioned, where they called me and said, hey, they're, they're mixing acts of worship. I've never seen that. That's something that we probably ought to... They, that person went to the minister. I would like to tell you that. That person went to the minister of that congregation and said, hey, I have never seen this. Can you explain to me why you're doing this? Does anybody want to have a general idea of what the response was? This isn't really a, a matter we're going to discuss with you. This is how we do it. I'm not going to have this... Wouldn't you think that at least if she's wrong, they'd at least want to explain to her why she's wrong? They didn't even do that. This, this is a matter we're not going to discuss with you. Uh, this is just how we do it here. So, same thing with, uh, if you bring up an issue with uh, attended nurseries, uh, people don't see a problem with that. Well, it's, how many have ever heard this? It's, it's just one person. Um, there's a number of issues. We have speakers in uh, the nursery there so that you can take your child back and still hear everything. But that's not, that's not a playroom. What's it actually for? It's a training room. Take your child back there. You get them back under control. You bring them back into the assembly. And some, you try to use the excuse and say, well, we don't, they, they scream really loud. We don't want to bother the congregation. What do we do here if they're screaming really loud? I just talk louder, right? We don't, ask, we don't care if, they scream in, if they're loud in here. Uh, we just talk louder. I am laughing because I got drugged out of the Catholic Church as a child, and my, all I remember is, actually, this has happened here. I won't say who or when, because somebody might show up. I can remember walking out the door and my dad saying, hands on the wall. <laughs> you guys know what was coming, right? I wasn't behaving. That's actually happened here on the front door. Uh, I won't say who... Well, there, down south in one of the buildings, there was, a, there was a sign on the door that said, the switch is behind, is, this was on the door, the switch is behind the door, and it is not talking about the light switch. The switch was hanging behind the door, if you know what I'm talking about. Now, down south, that's not uncommon. Matter, matter of fact, I, I'm not going to say the, the person's name, uh, but that person took their child out to switch them in the yard and the other child came out to watch and when they got done that child got beat and they were like why and he said that's what we do outside <laughs> so yeah that's not uncommon down south guys unfortunately it is up here but that idea of well we just we just love one another how far does that go we disagree on all kinds of things right the, the doctrines of salvation um, acts of worship there's a whole host of things uh, the idea of loving somebody, if you ultimately love somebody, what would your goal for them be? That they would go where? Heaven. If you're going to go to heaven, what do you have to have, to have to have an understanding of? Righteousness and all the things that would allow you to be righteous. So this is not some verse that's teaching love overriding the idea of obedience. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. So how many have seen, and this doesn't last very long, this is only a progression state, but how many have seen where they have a cappella in the morning, instrumental in the evening? 
And they, they start off, when they do that, they say, well, we don't want to offend anybody. We want to love everyone. So what we're going to do is we're going to have acapella in the morning. We'll do instrumental in the evening. Guys, that is never, ever, ever put in place with the idea it will stay that way. That is only a progression to pacify somebody long enough that they can get it in and then eventually remove the acapella and make both services instrumental. That's what's happened every time. That's right. Somebody's got to pay for the instruments. It's the faithful members that come during the acapella worship. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we're thinking of the very, of, of, I'll just say his name. We're thinking of Deaver right now, probably. I would say there, there are other people that agree with that. Has anybody ever watched the uh, debates with Deaver? He says the Holy Spirit comes into you at the moment of baptism, but it is a non-miraculous indwelling. Guys, if you have a member of the Godhead dwelling in your body, please, please do tell how in the world that is non-miraculous. A member of the Godhead dwelling in your body, but it's non-miraculous. Why does he say that? Because he knows he can't argue his way out of that. No. Yeah. You know what I mean? like, well, they're like they're like the Jehovah's Witnesses, where they're not going to be consistent in using the same word or the same type of language in the same way. Holy, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses are horrible about that. They'll change context in the middle of a passage just like that, and they won't use it in the same way, so as they can teach whatever it is they want to teach. Uh, and you'll find that pretty much in the in the Baptist Church or any of those. Let's look at this passage. We're not going to actually finish the passage. I'm just going to read it. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Think about that for just a second. It is a love, it is a love that allows you to be so righteous that in the day of judgment you can have boldness. That's the whole idea. Does that sound like the love where you're willing to condone people uh, committing adultery and stealing and drunkenness and all that? That's not that type of love, is it? We're talking about a love that would allow you to have boldness on the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we in this world. How is He? Pure and righteous. So how are we supposed to be in this world? Same way. All right, we'll pick up 1 John 4, 17. 